If I could ask you to open up in your Bibles to Genesis, and if there's anybody who's not gotten a Genesis scripture journal, we have a lot of extras. We had bought a bunch, um, and then we ordered more because we gave them all away. So does anybody still need scripture journals? Call out your friend. You guys want one here? We really do. We have tons of them, so if you, if you need one. Okay, if your friend needs one, but they don't want to raise their hand, then... Who else? Good? Thank you, Denny. Oh, Denny. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. All right. So we're in Genesis 18 this morning, and Mark is going to come and read for us verses 1 to 15. So if you guys want to open up there, let me pray, and then Mark can read. You can come on, Mark. Come on. I'm going to pray, and then Mark will just go ahead and read from Genesis 18. Almighty God, we thank you this morning that you have not left us groping in the dark, wondering, is there a God out there somewhere? And if there is, what is he like? But you've told us very clearly through creation and through your word what you are like, what you desire from us, how we can live with you, how we can have our sins forgiven, and how we can have eternity with you. And so we are grateful today for the hope and the confidence we have in Jesus because we can read about him over and over again in your written word. You've been kind to us. You've been merciful to give that to us. And so this morning, even as we look at a very old story um, from a man that we don't have a whole lot in common with, yet in this situation we do. And so I pray that you would use uh, your word as it's read, as Mark reads it, and as we discuss it together as a church family um, to help us to know more about how you operate, uh, to love the way that you do things, to believe it, and then help us to live differently as a result of today. God, we want to walk out of here different. We want to walk out of here with a clearer understanding of you and how you want us to live. And so do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 18, 1 through 15. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat by the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent uh, to Sarah and said, Quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. Then Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. 
And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the door to the tent behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of woman had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, Am I, um, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. So these verses that Mark just read very naturally are divided in half. You've got the first part, I think it's verses 1 to 8, where God and Abraham are talking, right? And then you've got the second half. We have a conversation between God and Abraham and Sarah. Okay, just want to make sure you guys are paying attention. We're going to do a lot of audience participation this morning, so prepare yourselves. So really, it can be divided very easily in half. So what I'm doing this morning is I'm taking the sermon that I wrote for this morning, that's the whole passage, and I'm going to cut it in half. Because it would end up being, it, it's too long. And so I talked to Tyler and, Jordan this, Tyler and Jordan this morning and said, can I do it in two sermons instead of one? They said yes. So this morning we're just going to look at the first half, which is Abraham and God's interaction, or Abraham and his three visitors' interaction. Now what's unique, as we go through these first eight verses, that's all we're going to cover, verses one to eight. What's unique, if you've spent any time in God's word before, you know that we don't often call attention to the example or the character of different people in the Bible, right? Unless we're trying to show you a bad example or why we're sinners who need a savior. In this case, as I kept reading it over and over, I realized this is actually a good example, which is hard to come by, that Abraham uh, shows us as he interacts with these three guests, with these three visitors that come along. And so what I'm going to do this morning is we're going to take our time I'm going to do half the sermon. We're just going to look at Abraham's interaction with the three visitors and talk about how that so easily applies to us. And what I'm really hoping that you see too is, you know that we have a vision statement. We have a mission statement. And I often say our mission statement is in line with the storyline of the Bible. It's not just one verse we pluck out of nowhere. So here you're going to see all the way back in Genesis 18, Abraham in a very real way living the way we have been seeking to live as a church for the last eight years. I mean, really, it's all here in black and white for us to see. So join me as we come alongside of this interaction that takes place between Abraham and these three guests. So I'm, I call this sermon truly really point one of a two-part, but the sermon could just be called, When God Visits Abraham. Or when Abraham entertains three visitors or entertains three guests is really the point of this morning. So we begin in, in verse 1 where these three visitors show up. Now, you've got to remember that Abraham is coming off of a fresh round of circumcision, right, in the previous chapter. And so here he is now standing at, the, at, the, at his tent at the Oaks of Mamre, and all of a sudden there are these visitors in front of him. And I'm saying that one of the visitors is God. So let me, let me point out why, and I'm going to tell you where I think the other two visitors are. I think one of the visitors is God, because look at verse 1. And the, what's it say? The Lord appeal, appeared. And you notice that's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital 
D, which is the word for Yahweh. Right? So this is God himself who has come down. And then, if you look at verse 10, it says, The Lord said. Verse 13, The Lord said. Verse 17, the Lord said. So if I have my scripture journal, I'm circling those and proving to myself that one of these individuals is God who shows up. Most will say that, he's, that is, this is a, a pre-incarnate form of Christ. This is Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who's showing up on the earth prior to the virgin birth to make an appearance in some kind of bodily form in order to interact with mankind. And we've seen this before. We see that God interacted with Abraham in chapter 12 this way when it says the Lord appeared to him. And you guys remember Hagar? When the angel of the Lord appeared to her, the very first time the angel of the Lord shows up, he appears to her. So I'm, I'm going to argue that one of the three is God himself showing up for Abraham to interact with. The other two, you've got to kind of read ahead to figure out that these two are angels. The story continues through chapter 18. You've got to trust me on this. And it continues into the beginning of verse, chapter 19. And what does it say in chapter 19, verse 1? Two angels. So here's Abraham, and he's about to interact with two angels and God face to face. Now, one of the challenges of this passage is we don't know at what point Abraham realizes who he's talking to. At what point does the light bulb go on? I don't know exactly when. It's pretty certain I can tell you it happened when he interacts with Sarah later because this angel knows things about Sarah that only God would know. But prior to that, we don't know. So as we're looking at how Abraham interacts with these three guests, keep in mind, he, I don't know, and I'm going to make double application here. If he does know it's God, how he interacted. And then if he doesn't, and they're just three people, how do we apply that? So I'm going to make double application. Does that make sense? To whether it is God, he knows it or not. But there's tons of application mixed in with this story. One thing that does really stand out in these first eight verses is how busy Abraham is and how little these three guests interact with him as far as words go or what we know about them. So we're going to really study more what Abraham does, but we only know three things, or only three things are said about the other three guests. Verse 1, that they appeared. In verse 5, after he offers them food, they respond with, do as you have said. And then in verse 8, they ate. They eat. <laughs> That's it. Otherwise, they're kind of silent in this story. But Abraham, oh, he is on the move. And so that's why I think we're supposed to read this first part, looking at Abraham's life, looking at what Abraham does, and saying, okay, what is in this that we think God wants us to take away for our own lives? So with that said, I want to make just four observations about Abraham when God comes to visit. So when God comes to visit, first point is this, don't get caught looking down. When God comes to visit, don't get caught looking down. Look at verse 1 of chapter 18. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Verse 2. He lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, three men were standing in front of him. So his head's down. It's the heat of the day. He's looking down. And suddenly he raises his eyes and suddenly, it seems, they didn't seem to come from a distance, but appears before him these three individuals. And then there they are, standing right in front of Abraham. He lifts up his eyes and he looks. So I would just say this, don't miss God with your head down. 
Or don't miss these three visitors, whoever they might be, because you're looking down. Instead, lift up your eyes like Abraham did. Don't get caught missing God's presence. And don't get caught missing the presence of angels. You guys know that in Hebrews 13, it says this. It says, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. We got this verse. I want them to see it, not take my word for it. We don't? Dang. All right. I'm quoting God's word right now. This is more, this is more important than anything I say. It says clearly in Hebrews, and, and they think that this is probably what the quote in Hebrews I'm going to read is referring to this situation with Abraham. He's referencing that. So here's what it says. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So Abraham here is entertaining two angels, and I think at this moment he's unaware. So I want to say to you this morning, be careful who's sitting around you. Be careful who you bump into at the grocery store or in the parking lot or at Chick-fil-A. Could be an angel. The warning is real. I mean, if, we're, if we believe God's word, we need to believe that when you go about your day, there's a good chance that you could bump into someone who is angelic, who has taken on some human form, and God is calling you to show hospitality to them. That, that's the point of what's happening here. But more importantly, for Abraham, and I think for us, is the reality that God is also present all the time. But we can miss him if our head is down. I think that's the bigger point here. He manifests, God manifests his active presence all the time, every day, in different places, at different times, in different ways. So don't get caught off guard. Don't miss him. When he's working, when he's doing something, when he's prompting you, don't miss it. He's on the move. He's working. Don't be distracted by all the busyness of life so that you're caught with your head down and you miss what God's doing. Do you believe that's a distinct possibility? I do. I mean, you and I, you know, we go out in public. I don't want to be the grumpy old man about cell phones, but everybody's down on their phone. Everybody. Man, you, you put your, there's people, real, live, flesh and blood people all around us. We don't need our phone in our hand. And I think we can miss God when we get caught up in whatever it is. It doesn't have to be that. It can be a dozen other things. We miss God because we're not paying attention to where he is or what he's doing or how he's prompting you to live in certain ways. So be alert. I would say, don't get caught looking down. Pay attention. Pay attention to what's happening around you. Be on high alert for God's activity. Do you believe this morning? God is active. That every day he comes and visits in some way around you. But if we're not paying attention, we can miss it. Don't miss it. Don't. I think Abraham looks up. God has the timing right. So he doesn't miss this visitor and his friends. We need to anticipate, I think, expect, look for God to show up in some way every day. 
So may we, look, may we look for him. May we seek him. May we want him. May we expect him to show up. Second thing we see here from Abraham in example is that when God comes to visit, Abraham reacts in a wholehearted way. He is wholeheartedly involved in what's happening. He puts his, his zealousness is into this. He responds with all of his heart and soul and mind and strength, you could say. I don't know if you caught the words when Mark read this this morning, but look at how he responds in verse 2. What action, you kids that can read really well, what, what action is Abraham taking in verse 2? What is he doing? What's it say? He ran. He ran. So in verse 2, we have him running. He runs from the door of his tent to meet them. Then what words do we see in verse 6 twice? Starts with a Q and ends in Ickley. <laughs> Sorry. You guys know what I, I know what I'm looking for and you don't. So it says verse 6 twice. He went quickly. And then it says that he said to, Abraham, to, to Sarah, quick, get cooking. Right? So he's running and he's quick. Look at verse 7. What's he doing in verse 7? He ran. He ran. And then what does he do when he gets to where he's going? He grabs a, a calf. He gets it back to the house. Look at verse 7. He runs how to the young man? What's he tell the young man to do? Quickly prepare it. I mean, I think those little words are in there to get your attention, right? I mean, it doesn't have to say that he ran. It could just say that he went. He didn't have to say quickly. I mean, that repetition is there to get our attention to go, Abraham is on the move to prepare something for these guys. He is moving. He is active. He is zealous when he sees these three guests. I wonder, do we have the same amount of zeal in our hearts when we encounter someone for the first time? Or when we encounter a guest? Or we encounter somebody that we don't know very well? Do we have the same thought of, I I need to go to them. I need to run to them. I need to be quick in what I'm doing. Or are we distractive and passive and, and, and negligent as opposed to taking action? Abraham sees these three guys, no idea who they are, and bam, he's off to the races, right? He's, he's giving his heart. He's giving zeal to going after them to serve them. Is that our heart attitude? I would even add to that, is that our, is that our, our reaction to God's presence? Do you want God's presence in such a way that you're quick to want to go get it? That you want to run to go get God's presence? When you, when you get out of your car in the parking lot, do you run in here on a Sunday anticipating, I'm going to encounter God's presence? We, we had a, a series a long time ago on why do we sing? And one of the reasons we sing, we learned, was because when God's people gather and we sing, God's presence is there in a unique way. His spirit is stirred in a unique way. So, so do we anticipate it that same way? Running, quickly, priority, got to get there. Don't want to miss God's presence. Don't want to get caught in the parking lot. And then God shows up in the room. Is that your heart attitude? Is there, is there a zeal, an excitement, a quickness, a running to want to encounter God? So I think it's the, first, the second thing that we see for Abraham. We see him looking up, and then we see him moving towards with, with zeal. And then, number three, when God comes to visit, Abraham sacrifices extravagantly. Abraham sacrifices extravagantly. I want you to look at how the story begins in verse 4. What does he offer these three guests in verse 4? He offers them three things. What are they? Verse 4. He offers them water, 
rest in verse 4? Rest, wash your feet, and water. Am I looking at the right verse? Here's some water. He wants them to have rest, and he offers to wash their feet. So he's on the move. He offers that to them. They respond. He says he's going to give them, verse 5, somebody over here said, a morsel of bread, and he wants them to refresh themselves. So do you see what he's doing? He sees them, doesn't know them, and his first thought is they need refreshment. They need refreshment. I mean, do you think that? Do you ever see somebody? There's a particular person that Elspeth and I see often in Safeway. And every time we see this individual, we think they need, they need refreshment. They, just, they always need encouragement. You can just see it and how they carry themselves. Do you know people like that? Or do you see someone like them? And he sees them and he automatically realizes they need to be refreshed. And I am the person positioned right now in front of them to refresh them. And so I'm not going to miss the moment. I'm going to run to do that very thing. And then, what's funny about the story is they agree, okay, we'll have something to eat. And then what does he do? The whole party goes nuts, right? He goes crazy with, okay, enough with just, we're not going to just do some water and a morsel of bread. He literally throws a feast for them. Look at verse 6. He begins with three sheaths of fine flour, a tender calf that is also good, and curds and milk. So I don't know how big or how heavy a calf is. I know I've field-dressed many deer, a big doe, and you can get 40 pounds of meat out of it. So a calf must be more than that? Does anybody know? Nobody know? Somebody's going to be like, I slaughtered one last week. Okay, I just want to make sure. So 50, 60 pounds? So 60 pounds of meat for how many people? He's got three guests. That's a party. And then it says five sheaves of fine flour. That's five gallons of flour. So if you take five gallons of flour and you figure that you need two cups to make a loaf of bread, that would be 40 loaves of bread. So I've got 80 pounds of meat, 60 pounds of meat. I've got 40 loaves of bread. Or if you're into hot pretzels, which I am into hot pretzels. Last Saturday when it was snowing, I made hot pretzels. Mm, They were good. It takes four cups to make eight pretzels. That means with this, if I did my math right, I can make 160 pretzels. So that means Abraham is throwing a party right now for three people with 160 pretzels and 60 pounds of meat. Do you understand that this is extravagant? I mean, he's over the top. He's taking strangers, three people he doesn't know. He doesn't know whether they're psycho. He doesn't know whether they're thieves. He doesn't know anything about them. He doesn't know their past. doesn't know what they've done. And he literally prepares a feast for them to eat. Now, some of this is hospitality from their time. At what point is he clicking going, oh my goodness, this must not be just any old person. These are angels. But from what I read in the story right now, only the reader knows because of the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Nowhere does it say that he knows. But do you see what he's doing? And Abraham is very aware of the fact that these are three people who need refreshment. I'm going to run to them and quickly do what I can do for them because I have the resources. And so he makes a spread for them, a beautiful, wonderful, extravagant time of refreshment. When you read this, you have to think, at least my mind immediately goes to where Jesus talks about hospitality. So I think we have these verses from Matthew 25 where Jesus said, 
For I was hungry, and you gave me food. You guys remember this story? And this is probably familiar to a lot of you. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Notice the word when. as if they don't even know they're doing it. These righteous people are so engaged with just loving people and caring for people that they're not even aware of when they did it. It just happened. They were active that way. So, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And here's the word again. When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? They don't even have an idea they did it. It just flowed out of their lives. You're in need? I'll meet the need. I have the resources. They were just doing it. And then the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And I think that pairs so beautifully with what happens here in Genesis chapter 18, right? Abraham has no idea who's in front of him. All he sees is need, and bam, he's into action mode to bless them and to help them to be refreshed. Here in Matthew 25, even, obviously the people are, they're, they're, these individuals are looking up, they respond and acted in a sacrificial way to meet the needs, just like Abraham. I can't help but read this and see how Abraham seems to be a man who is on mission in the sense that he's aware of the people around him, he's aware of their needs, and then he runs and sacrifices to meet their needs. Whether it's God, angels, or even at this point, maybe just three strangers, he doesn't even know who they are. But what does he do? He bolts into action. He runs to care for them. He runs to meet their need. And then lastly, number four, when God comes to visit, Abraham worships. Now, at this point, maybe he does know it's God. I don't know. But it's his heart attitude that I want you to see this morning. I use the word worship because look at verse 2. It says that he ran and bowed himself to the earth. Right? It says Abraham bowed himself down low to the earth. And we've talked about this before, that, that that is worship. When we read the Bible and we look up all the times the word worship is in God's word— Every time we read it, either someone is falling down on their face or an animal is being sacrificed. Not once is it related to singing in any way, shape, or form. So this morning, Kaylin did not lead us in worship. Casey did not lead us in worship. They led us in singing and in praise. Worship is when somebody goes down in submission to God on their face or are sacrificing in some major way like an animal before God. And so here, Abraham I don't know if this moment he recognizes, okay, this, this one person is different of the three. And so he bows low, and then in verse 7, or in verse 3, he says, I am your servant. I'm below you. Now, I don't know how he concluded all this. I wish I could have been there. But somehow he recognizes, you, me. You, me. Now, let me ask you, is there ever a time when you shouldn't be thinking about that with every person you see? You, me. I mean, is that what it means to be a disciple? Right? To serve others? To give your cross? Sacrifice? I mean, Abraham, whether he knows who this is or not, he has the heart attitude of a New Testament follower of Jesus. 
servant, me, and you. You're above me. And that's what he did. He got low and he said, I'm here to serve you. How can I serve you? What can I do to serve you? How can I quickly serve you? How can I extravagantly serve you? I mean, he is ready to give for three people that he doesn't even know who they necessarily are. Do we think of others this way? I often think about this when I'm in a restaurant and I have a server, a waiter or a waitress. And I think to myself, well, they're here to serve me. That is not Christian, right? No, they may be serving me in one way, but actually I should be there to serve them. I should be there to sacrifice for them. So whatever that looks like for you, you should be thinking that way. Like just because they're your server doesn't mean you take advantage of them or you're mean to them or you're messy for them. It's how can you serve them? So I don't know what scenario you find yourself in daily or weekly or monthly or uniquely. But when you see someone, do you think, superior servant? I'm here to serve. How can I serve you? In what way can I come under you? What do you need? What do you want? How can I meet that need? How can I serve you? I mean, you walk around with that kind of mindset everywhere you go. It will change your life. God, who needs help? Who can I serve? Who have you put in front of me? Who's standing before me that you want me to run quickly to, to serve and to encourage? I think that's what's happening in this story. I think it's just a simple example for us of what to do. A simple example. Now, I know all of us in here have different life circumstances and different things that make your days look very different. But I think if we just had some of Abraham's attitude, I think it can make a huge difference to be on the lookout for what God is doing. Well, there's one more thing I want to point out, and then I'll be done. And that is, I think it would be wrong to move on or to finish without talking about the heart of God in this story. The heart of God in this story. I mean, God comes to Abraham. You've got to just try to pause for a moment and think, transcendent, holy, glorious God comes down to hang out with Abraham, a man, a, a mortal, someone just like you and I. God descends for Abraham to interact with Abraham. After this, do you know when the next time is that God will eat with man? It's not until Jesus comes. So this is it. This is the only time prior to Jesus where God comes down and eats with a man, with a human. And he does this here with Abraham. And the next time when Jesus comes and does it, how do people respond to Jesus coming down and eating with people? They're not happy, are they? In fact, they're really angry that Jesus comes and eats and drinks with sinners. And isn't that what God's doing right here in Genesis? God comes down, and what does he do? He eats and drinks with Abraham, the sinner. It's the same. Do you understand that God's character is slowly being revealed in Genesis, and we're going to see it more vividly when Jesus comes, as he perfectly represents the Father to us. But in the meantime, we get these glimpses of Jesus. Here he is, God coming down to meet and to eat with Abraham. And one day Jesus would do the same, and people would get angry because he would take time to eat and drink with the people that nobody else wanted to eat and drink with. With strangers. People are messed up. And isn't that not just the very mission that God has called us to? 
And I think this is why, and I think this is the place in the book of Genesis to talk about this, that we read three times in Scripture that Abraham was a friend of God. It doesn't say that about anybody else. Abraham was a friend of God. We read this in James chapter 2 as one of them. And this is an important one. Because I think if you look at this verse, you will see that not only was Abraham a friend of God, but you will learn how you can be a friend of God. So here's what it says. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. He was called a friend of God. What made it possible for Abraham to be called a friend of God? Belief. It was his belief. He believed God, and then he was called a friend of God. And certainly his actions in, in Genesis 18, if he knows this is God, are certainly representative of somebody who's somebody's friend, right? I mean, the party that he throws for him. So he's a friend of God, and it's through belief, and that's important. It wasn't because Abraham was circumcised. It wasn't because Abraham threw this party for God when God showed up that he was a friend of God. He was a friend of God prior to that because he believed. He believed that God would keep his promise. He believed in who God was and what God was doing and what God would do. And so how do you become a friend of God? By believing. By believing in who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, what Jesus is doing, and what Jesus will do. And when we believe that, when you treasure Jesus that way and love Jesus that way and believe in Jesus that way, you too are called a friend of God. I want to be called a friend of God. I want that. Maybe more than anything in the universe. I want to know that I'm a friend of God. And yet through Christ, through belief, you, not because of works, can be called a friend of God. God. So this morning, let me ask you that. Are you a friend of God? And I'm not asking, do you do busy stuff for God? Do you serve God? Do you run to God? Do you sacrifice for God? I'm asking, do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is everything he said he was and that he's able to do everything he said he will do in being a savior who can cleanse you from all of your sins? Are you his friend? Do you have peace this morning with God because Jesus because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are your friend this morning. Is he your friend? Are you a friend of his? Because Jesus came to reconcile us to himself, and to the Father, and to the Spirit, so we could enjoy fellowship, and so we could enjoy friendship. So that's Abraham, friend of God. By belief, but then he, he demonstrates it in this extravagant spread, in his busyness, in serving the ones that God put before him. So how do those fit together for you? If you're a friend of God, then I think Jesus' word in, words in Matthew are pretty clear. You'll be someone who's looking for people who need food and drink and water and shelter and clothing. People who need refreshment. And you'll go quickly to meet that need out of a response to what Jesus has already done for you. Out of response out of gratitude for what he has already done for you. I wonder, and the reason I want to split this sermon in half for today, is because spring is in the air, which means we get outside more, which means we have more opportunities to interact with other people, 
And my question is, where is your head going to be when you're doing it? Are you going to look up? Are you going to be prepared? Are you ready and anticipating God's presence? Are you ready to sacrifice or do quickly whatever it is that God might want you to do to serve them? Are your eyes going to be open? I, I need to be reminded of this. Life gets busy and full and distractions are everywhere. Are you alert that there's other human beings around you, even in the busyness of your life? And I know that's hard to do. But isn't that what it means to be a disciple of Jesus? <laughs> to look around for people to love? People that we can say, there's my neighbor. I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. And if everybody's my neighbor, whoever they are, the strangers that come my way, am I open and ready to embrace them? I think this message really is one to slow down and act quickly. <laughs> slow down, pay attention to who's around you, and then respond quickly. Respond with zeal. Respond wholeheartedly. Respond as someone who's already a friend of God and serve them the way that God would call you to do. So what I'm going to do is I want to take a minute and I want us to pray that God would help us to have large hearts for the strangers that he brings into our lives and that we would not be distracted and miss it because that's a real, real possibility. So let's do this. Let's stand up together and if you just want to be with your family, just one or two other people, just pray that God help me, help us to not be distracted, help us to be ready to live the way Abraham did, eyes open for people who are in need. And let's just pray that way and then we're going to sing a song.